Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast, and I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often we may not feel good enough. I'm here today to help you face these challenges head on with Dr. Mike Astian. Dr. Astian, hello. Hello, it's good to be here. Thanks, Wendy. <laughs> Um, Dr. Astian's a clinical pathologist. That means he's like one of those doctors who went to medical school and then in residency he did like a bunch of autopsies and stuff. And he learned all about the body and what it looks like in slides and from urine and blood and then studied specifically laboratory medicine. He is the medical director of the Department of Laboratory at Seattle Children's. I mean, he like runs the lab. He has an MD and a PhD because he studied a lot. He's authored like a bajillion things, 40 peer-reviewed papers and editorials. He's got like patents. He started some companies. The guy understands where labs have come from and where we are now. And I have, he has been such a good friend to me in the innovation space and been such a helpful, happy, funny voice for me in understanding kind of quackery versus realism and what matters. So I'm so thankful you're here. Oh, it's good to be here. You know, Wendy, I, I the reason I went into lab medicine was I was I really like people, but I was afraid to touch them. So when I got <laughs> to medical school, it was a very painful and difficult experience. But thank God for my specialty, which I can you could hide. I can love people without touching them. <laughs> yeah, maybe you just touch their. I try to like touch their souls. Yeah, yeah. You, you touch their <laughs> souls. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so. I'm just going to give a little history, don't you think? Sure, Dr. please. Okay. So when we, so when I, when I, one of the first times I met him, he was helping me as I was building the Center for Digital Health, and I was thinking about how to do that. And because he started these companies and he used to run the lab at the university, he knew all this stuff. But one of the things that he said to me way before the scandal happened with Theranos is that he's like that. That is not good lab medicine. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? He's like, it's a total hoax. And he kind of went through. Do you remember this? Do you remember yeah, we had I do remember. Way yeah. before. And he just kind of went through why it was a hoax. Then we had these great reporters who uncovered it all for the public to realize. So if you don't know the Theranos, well, you tell us the Theranos story. Well, the Theranos story was uh, a woman who had dropped, it was kind of a great story, actually, a woman who dropped out of Stanford who claimed that lab testing was, you know, uh, done by a bunch of eggheads who were inside the box, and she was outside the box, and she was going to come in and be disruptive. She came out of Silicon Valley. She got a lot of investors who were not... Uh, educated in the medical space and certainly not in the laboratory space. And she claimed to be able to do uh, 300 or more tests off a tiny drop of blood from your fingertip. And that uh, more testing is better, that the more testing you have is better, and that we're going to become the quantitative self, and you're going to do your own health care, and you're going to be your own doctor, and you're going to do your own heart transplant. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and then... Uh, uh, you know, it, it, but it made no sense to anybody in the field, but people in the field didn't say much, largely because we didn't think there was much at stake because a lot of – there's a lot of bad ideas in lab medicine and the truth is very powerful, so you just wait for them to go away. But this one had tremendous legs and uh-huh. uh, she ended up getting a tremendous valuation and she had great marketing machine behind her and I think the, the company at one point was worth $9 billion and they – uh, you know, she was the world's rich. You know, she was one of the richest people, and she's on the cover of a lot of magazines. So this is, was odd for all of us because it took off to this tremendous size before it, it burst. But all the principles were the same for a lot of the companies that fail, which was, you know, it was extreme thinking. It was based on, you know, she thought it was uh, 
based on a finger prick blood. Nobody likes to get their finger prick. And that blood isn't, you know, that's kind of, it has a lot of juices and giblets in it that your regular blood doesn't have. <laughs> it's not actually a good specimen. Because it doesn't come right from the vein. Yeah, the venous okay. blood is a good specimen, and people have spent the last, you know, 100 years trying to replace it. I mean, our main specimens, as you know, is venous blood, you know, piss and poop. Uh, is piss a scientific or pee? Pee and, <laughs> pee and poop. We pee, 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 poop, and blood is our business. And tissues, you know, when you get a biopsy. Finger prick blood is very useful in medicine, and it can be very useful for kids. But it's not an easy specimen to collect, and the idea that it's painless is ridiculous. I mean, nobody likes to lancet their fingertip. So the whole there's a million reasons why it it didn't make sense from a scientific perspective, from a management perspective, the way she did costing, her belief that more was better when in lab testing the only rule that matters is less is more. So, you know, to a lot of people it was obvious it was going to fail. And I think I got lucky because I was very adamant about it. And I wrote emails to people who had asked me about it. And so then they saved those emails. And now I think I'm going to get to be on the documentary, you know, because I made an early <laughs> prediction. eyebrows just went Well, I made up. an yeah. early prediction that was pretty specific. It's easy to say something's going to fail because almost everything does. But I was like yeah. super specific why I was going to fail. So, um, yeah. So that now, you know, now, you know, it, uh, if, we go, if I go to a bar with a bunch of lab people, you know, I, I dine out <laughs> on that a little bit. <laughs> okay. So, but the, the big point, thank you for that. The big the arc of that is ultimately that we're living in, and I think this is what I'm, I'm so excited to bring you to the podcast, that yeah. we live in this time where we are we are in a transition inflection in health, which I'm a part of in digital health, which is saying, how do we get things directly to parents and families? Kind of like get rid of the quote unquote middleman when it's unnecessary so that it's lean and efficient and people can get what they want. And we're tracking how many steps we take. And you're right. We can now I can spit in a cup and my entire genome can be sequenced by a company, you know, in, in California. Yeah. And I can use an app to look at part of it. And and so but Theranos is the story that you helped me understand in some ways that that narrative, that that the investors got behind it, the promise of a single drop of blood giving all sorts of windows to my soul, right. um, is probably never going to be true. And, and that we use labs in certain scenarios and we don't want to use them in others. And right. that's what I want. So the Theranos story is one example of the world's going to keep marketing to the public yeah. tricks and tips and devices and ideas that will help them get a better sense of who they are. Right. Um, but when it comes to the laboratory, you've helped clear up. Like, I mean, your line is right. Like the less is more. Less it's is like more. a visit from your in-laws. Tell me, I don't Less is more. Like, if, you know, sometimes, you know, for some, not my in-laws, but your in-laws. Yeah, not your. Yeah, like your yeah. in-laws come into town and yeah. you think, well, I'd like to have lunch with them. They're lovely. They're my in-laws. But if they tell you they're going to sleep over for a week, you got to say, well, less is more. Lunch would be nice. <laughs> Sleeping over. I don't really want you to count how many times I go to the bathroom in the middle of the night or comment on the pillow I'm using. You know, it's just like I need some space. Less is more. And in lab testing... And there's a very strong, um, you know, foundation mathematically to why less should be more. And then it turns out less is more um, has been proven over and over again. I mean, we've never had more lab tests, but in the era of... You mean uh, as we do now? Well, when I started, I'm older. So when I started, we only had the two tests. We had tasting the urine and looking at it through the microscope. Now there's 3,000 lab tests, huh. and but never have so few tests been recommended for well people. You know, like you can go down the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force or any of the pediatric guidelines. And, you know, a kid only needs a few tests between the age of, you know, between birth and 20. You only need a few things. And adults need very little unless they're sick. 
If you're sick, you know, lab testing is an extremely important tool uh, for you to get better. If you have a transplant, you know, lab testing is part of what saves your life. You know, mm-hmm. you have an organ, a new organ. We have to, you have to have drugs to keep that organ in. We've got to, we got to monitor that for life. We've got to mat- monitor your, the infectious diseases you get because, you know, your immune system is off when you have a transplant. We do that for life. And we measure all, whether the organ is working, measure it for life. So, like, if you have a, if you're sick, lab testing's the best. I mean, it really is tremendously helpful. It guides what drugs you're on. It guides your treatment, tells you how good you're doing in a lot of ways. It can, it can, sometimes the, the tests are off before you feel off, so we can preempt your mm-hmm. your problem. But if you're well, there's only there. It's very lab testing is extremely overrated. There's very few tests for the various symptoms that we all have living our lives: our back pain, our TMJ pain, you know, a little ringing in the ears, even most chest pain. Yeah, you don't need a lab for. GI pain, yeah, it's useless, and it leads to a lot of false diagnoses because lab testing is imperfect. And the kind of the kind she was doing in Theranos, I mean, that was particularly imperfect with a finger prick blood, and you know, on an instrument that didn't work. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so funded by a bunch of millionaires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, so so the direct to consumer stuff. So I mean, so you know, I was running through with Dr. Hassing before. I said, so if you're a kid, um, you know, as a pediatrician, you you may want to have your child's iron. Uh, checked when they're young. You may look at a lead level if they have risk factors yeah. because of what we learned across the country from water sources or old homes, et cetera. When you're about nine years of age or five years of age, if you have a family history, you get a cholesterol level because we now universally screen kids because heart disease is the number one killer. We want to identify these kids who just inherit having high cholesterol and high blood fats. And then when you're 16 years old, I recommend, as as do many organizations, a, a universally, I mean, every teen, no matter what they're doing, to get an HIV test, some menstruating females to look to make sure they're not losing too much blood every month. And then we check any sexually active teen for gonorrhea and chlamydia because one in four teenagers has a sexually transmitted infection. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it, though. Yeah. There's for, for a well child, they should have one, two, three, four, five, six maybe labs their entire life yeah. if they're well. And even if I quibbled with one or two of those, that's all reasonable. Everything you said is within reasonable. You know, experts like to fight about anything because nothing's at stake. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's all fine. I, but the yeah. biggest danger to kids from testing is really, you know, from their parents because their parents, you know, have these fixed false beliefs about what's causing the kids TMJ pain or belly pain or toe pain or back pain or, you know, why they're a little off at school or why they're talking back to them. And, (laughs) um, you know, and they don't want to accept that it could all be bad parenting or just growing up or, you know, whatever. And so they go in, you know, often to sometimes to a naturopath or alternative provider. And they if they ask for testing or, oh, my God, if they Google it, that's the worst. You know, if they Google any symptom. Well, of course. You know, but the, I'm a big proponent of Googling. So, I know, well, but I, I know. contribute to what's I online. I know, but I'll give I'm you. Let me tell you a Google story that you'll enjoy. When I was uh, <laughs> in adult medicine, all of a sudden we uh, Google, you know, was there, and all of a sudden we saw the amount of TSH testing. This is the th- th- basic thyroid test. You know, go through the roof. The screening. And, yeah. The screening, and we saw. A- know, just to be clear, a lot of families who have overweight kids almost demand yeah, the thyroid screen, right. even when we don't think they qualify so, and need it. And then, so that was one, and then. See, if you Google, and it's the reason why TSH became the second most popular test in ambulatory medicine where you're just walking in, 
even above like it was equal to like a complete blood count or basic metabolic panel, which is the kind of test almost all of us have over the course of our life, is any symptom you Google, it'll come out thyroid. You know, you're feeling a little depressed. It could be your thyroid. You're a little anxious. It could be your thyroid. You're a little wet. It could be your thyroid. You're dry. It could be your thyroid. You're angry. It could be your thyroid. You're depressed. That's your thyroid. So no matter what, your heart beats too fast. It's not beating fast enough. Yeah. You know, wet, dry, hot, cold, angry. What? It's your thyroid. <laughs> and then so we, all of a sudden, everybody but wants the thyroid a thyroid test. Like a TSH screen. It's a great test. It's a good test, right? It's it's it's, it's a, sensitive and specific. Correct? It's a it's a good test. Even if a test is sensitive or specific, the majority of healthy people who get it, who have Don't a positive, will get that'll be a false positive. And you know, usually we do two more tests. Yeah. That can say, okay, that was false. So it's not the end of the world if you get your thyroid tested, but the reason why thyroid testing is not recommended on a, on a population is that a few are going to go on the full medical adventure, get biopsies, or convince themselves that they have these diseases that they don't have. And essentially, that's what's happened, which with Google allows you to get a lot of misinformation very quickly if you're not sick. That's the problem. You're, uh, you're not sick. You just have a little back pain. Then you broadcast it to your friends through Facebook, and they affirm you that you're a great doctor, and you go and get these tests. And this is true for everything, and that's why there's tremendous over— you're a over... great Dr. Google, that you're a great self-diagnosis. Yeah, that everybody yeah. thinks they have an allergy now. And so, yeah. look, listen, if you want to understand anything about this country and lab testing, what's going on, you only have to understand one disease, celiac disease. Oh, that's, oh, I'm getting, that's on my list. That's what I have next. That's what I, I just wrote it down. Yeah. Okay, because that's what I want to talk about next. Celiac, so, if you understand you know. celiac disease, and then all I have to do is tell you, well, it's the same for allergy and other autoantibody well, testing and lupus. And yes. your well, so, belly pain. But if you understand celiac disease, you can understand everything I'm saying in a very practical way, and then it'll guide you to not get tested well, for your let's child. Let's talk about it. So the thyroid thing you're saying, you're saying all of a sudden in adult medicine, Google came on, people started, you know, Pew study 2012 actually finds one in three people go online and self-diagnose. 55% of people go online and self-diagnose if they're college educated. Right. And in fact, you know, 40% of the time when followed out to diagnosis, they're right. So the TSH example is just saying, oh, my gosh, you can have so many symptoms when your thyroid's out of whack that anything you Google will show up like you should probably have a thyroid screen. Yeah. Now, celiac and gluten sensitivity, quote unquote, um, has r risen up basically, right, because of lab testing and this concept or not listening to lab testing, yeah. right? I mean, well, it's you see, you see that even the way you're having trouble formulating the question actually illustrates my main point, which is. The reason why celiac is so important to understand is it's both simultaneously the most underdiagnosed yep. and overdiagnosed disease at the exact same time, and that's because of lab testing, both. So it's underdiagnosed. You know, I I can't I can't because of HIPAA tell you a story of a friend of mine who actually would allow me to he allows me to use his name, but you know, you're, this is a famous podcast and he'll Super be contacted. Famous. I'm so famous. But this guy this guy <laughs> never had a normal bowel movement in his life. He was a major alcoholic, uh, you know, guy I grew up with. And, um, you know, then he, long story short, you know, he sobers out. He gets rescued by a woman, you know, in his ninth marriage who's a nurse. <laughs> and then he calls me and he says, hey, Mike, I got celiac disease. And I'll change his name. And I say, hey, Bert, you know, you don't have celiac disease. I, I said, you know. I said, is your wife more like the herbal natural type? And he says, oh, yeah, yeah. She's like a herbal natural type of nurse. I said, I'm telling you, 
you're not going to be diagnosed with, you know, celiac disease at age 55 after, you know, you, you know, the reason that you never had a normal bowel movement is, you know, you're drinking a pint of Jack and having four pizzas a night <laughs> and nobody could do, no one could form no, a no stool. GI track. <laughs> no, no dude could form a stool <laughs> under those circumstances. So, so he, so sure enough. So I said, he said, I'm going to send you my lab test. I'm set. And, uh, I said, look, there's only, you know, there's just one test for it, the, you know, tissue transglutaminase IJ, and I'm sure you didn't have that. I'm sure you went to some alternative provider who, you know, looked at your. Uh, can we go? Can we yeah. drill into this? Because I talk to parents about this all the time. So explain what a TCG is and an IGA level, so that people really, what is the real test to identify yeah. true sensitivity in the gut wall right. to gluten. So my friend Bert, what he needed okay, we'll was finish a, story and then we no, no. Yeah. This is what he what he okay. needed. If if it's real, if the yep. testing he got was real, it would be a. Uh, 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 tissue transglutaminase IGA. It's an antibody against uh, uh, IgA antibodies, which is one, one of the major kinds of antibodies. You have IgG, IgA, IgM, IgD, and IgE. But and IG- some of them are right in your bowel wall. And some right. of them are in your blood. So anyway, you have this. If you have this antibody, it's it's diagnostic for. It's a great test yep. for celiac disease. Terrific test. It's After a, age one, not before age yeah, one. Yeah, there's some other testing. There's some exceptions, but in general, for the, if you take the whole population, that's the, you know, that's the main test. Uh, there's, there's, there's always nuances with testing. Certain people need, need other tests, but then you also measure an IgA level because if you were deficient in IgA, then that test is no good. You got to do a different one. And you have, and just to be clear too, so some people will stop eating gluten entirely and then want to go get those tests. And if you haven't eaten any gluten, you won't have any your test could be falsely negative. Yeah, you could. So uh, you can do it wrong all sorts of different ways. Yeah, yeah, because a lot of, you know, there's a war on wheat. People don't want to, you know, you you have a slice of bread, you're a pariah at some schools. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But the the point is, you know, there's a test for it. So so I say to my friend, you know, did you have that test? He said, I don't know. I'll send you what I got. And, you know, he sends me what he got. And sure enough, he has the highest tissue transglutamination I've I've ever seen. And this guy has celiac disease. And, you know, the, the yeah. good thing about celiac disease is you can cure it with diet. And yeah. he goes on a restrictive diet, and um, he's doing great. And then occasionally he tries to convince himself that he doesn't have it. He has a piece of bread, and he spends the night on the toilet. Right. And, um, <laughs> but, see, but, see, he's a guy who's underdiagnosed, and that's very common. It's with very, celiac. So that's one part of the celiac problem. But the other is problem that... is people have convinced themselves they have celiac disease because life is hard, and we all have symptoms, and it's, you know, and we want a mechanical reason why, you know, why do I have a headache when I get rid of the headache? I have a backache or TMJ pain or a neckache or, you know, I got a little ringing in my ears or why am I, you know, why do I, I but diarrhea? And most of the time you're never going to know. You're never going to know and there's no lab test for it. There's no lab test for headache. There's none. And, um, but if you Google it. You there's know, no you, lab test for belly pain either. Yeah. Right? And, but if you Google it, you can have a really long list of things, especially um, if you have like, uh, you know, a joint pain, you know, because it could be infectious. Like, you know, there's a long list when you Google those things. You have parents coming in asking for 30 to 50 tests. So people have convinced themselves that they have celiac disease independent of testing. And also there's alternative pr- practitioners who have special out-of-the-box ways of, um, you know, of, of uh, you know, measuring it or determining it. And virtually all the patients who go to that clinic come out. Positive. Positive through some magic. And I've been told, you know, Mike, you, the reason you can't diagnose that is you're inside the box. You're <laughs> thinking inside the box. And we're thinking outside the box. And I said, like, well, when I look at your description of what you're doing, that's not thinking outside the box. box. That's not thinking at all. 
you know, because they send it to these labs that produce only positives. These labs don't produce, and and that's the definition of quackery, is you send it to a lab and it comes back positive for all patients. Yeah. And there's been studies of this. There's a famous study from the 80s by Barrett, and then it was followed up a couple of times on hair, where people send their hair to see if they've been poisoned, and they send it to these crazy labs, and they all come back positive. For something. And in different ways. You send it to 13 labs, 13 positives, but not the same. But the... But the reports are frightening right. and people freak out. And the next thing you know, they're not eating anything or they think they got to dance to Watusi. And, you know, they think they <laughs> develop all kinds. They can't go outside and they're impossible to be around. They become impossible people. They're concerned about, you know, they're concerned about what you're eating. But so with celiac, you have an army of people who think they have a disease that they don't have. And some that's what, and the upside is there's good gluten free food now. <laughs> no, there no is. it's tasty. No, there, there is. If you if you earnestly need a diet that's free of gluten. But even but even if you just wanted to eat it, it's actually pretty tasty. It used to be for this disease. They really the people who really had it, which is a lot of people, they didn't have a lot of good food choices. Now they have good food choices. But the other side of it is you have a group of people who are just restricting themselves from eating foods they can't. Your kids can't have birthday cake. They can't have pizza. It's a socially restrictive diet, and there's no reason to be on it if you don't have the disease. Right, and I think yeah, and I. And, and you take a hard scientific binary line on that. And I think when I hear – so I, and I love that of saying, you know, there, there are lots of people that I've seen in clinic and people in my own life, right, who restrict their diets because, to your point, like they feel better, right? Their behavior's better. They sleep better. They're nicer. They're – you know, whatever it is, their gut feels better. They poop in a different way. I mean, yeah, all I don't those have a things. quibble with that. Yeah. And if they want to modify their diet and they can stay healthy that way, it's fine. I don't but have to, a quibble Yeah, with that. Yeah. But, but to the point there is that – you're miss you're, the way to use that. Te- it's a good test. The way to use that test is you've got to. I mean, kids who have a strong family history who aren't gaining weight appropriately or have weird bowel movements should be screened for C, like with a, an it's appropriate test. It's a very test. common disease, it, yeah. and it's very has very terrible sequela if you don't right. diagnose it. So it's it, it's both. It's both underdiagnosed, and we need to diagnose it. And it's overdiagnosed. You know, I don't have a big quibble if people want to just eat. If it, if something makes people feel good, and it's you know, and it's it restricts their diet. I have two, you know, two more important, um, you know, reasons though to think about. And I just don't, you know, if people want to, if people want to do anything, of course. it makes and it doesn't affect my freedoms. Yes, that's fine. You know, right. I don't have any problem. I, the, but there are two bigger concerns. One is it can become very extreme, especially when you add in food allergy and other things, and you yeah. have. Uh, and when it's spread to their kids, you know, and so you have these kids who are on very restrictive diets or you are being restricted from being outside or, you know, that people think they have uh, uh, allergies to birds that they don't have or, you know, because that's another panel. Bird allergy I is a real thing, but most panels. people don't yeah. have about yeah. bird allergy. So one thing is it, it can be very ostracizing. And then, you you know, you, you get this you get you j- develop this mindset that people are somehow you know we're off we're just a little bit off and we we need to be made well when in fact we're exquisite we're amazing you know we're re- <laughs> our ability our resilience is so built into our system so you want to preach resilience in general and then lab tests and other things when you're sick when you're but sick. this idea that we're always sick and have to be made well I, you know that's one quibble and the other is they're impossible to go to dinner with and so <laughs> when you go to dinner with these people they're c- always saying what they're eating and then they're commenting on what you know I wouldn't eat that and you know, and I hate going to dinner with them because two things I'm not interested in is one is what you're eating. I couldn't care less about what you're eating. It's like one of the least interesting things to me. And then two, don't tell me what I should and shouldn't be eating because I happen to have won the office of adult. So I like to <laughs> eat what I like to eat. 
So, okay, so, so I think <laughs> those are my quibbles. You know, One I is like minor and social, but the yeah. other is major. You can yeah. socially restrict kids or make them think ki- yeah. that they don't, that they have diseases that they don't, and it leads to, I think, a, a, a very pessimistic view about life. And then you're, and you can go on a very big medical adventure. I agree. A, a, a diagnostic odyssey that way. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, let's end this. I, I love this because we're talking with a pathologist, Dr. Michael Astian, about labs, but we're ultimately talking about who we are, how we live, and like kind of right to the soul of this. And I think let's, so the celiac example was one. Other kind of testing I want to talk about is allergy testing. So I typically explain it like this to families. You know, there's in vivo and there's in vitro. Yes. And when it comes to allergies or quote unquote sensitivities, um, what we know is whatever the test tube tells us about what the blood does is one thing. Whatever the body does when exposed to something is another. And, you know, you can have a positive allergy test and tolerate whatever that allergen is fine. You can have a negative allergy test and not tolerate it at all. Right. Right. And so allergy testing is so complicated because we use it when we have a really strong clinical suspicion that a child's body reacts in a certain way to an allergen. And when it's positive, we say, whew, we were right. The thing that made that child's face turn red was the peanut. Or the thing that made that child's eyes water was the hay fever. And now I know it because it's ragweed. And ragweed is here this time of year. And now I have a positive RAS blood test, right? Or a skin test. How do you you explain allergy tests and the utility of them? When to use them and when not to? Yeah. Well, allergy testing is a great example of all, all the things I've talked about so far. Less is more. You should have symptoms. You should be sick. Do If you get a big panel of allergy tests, for sure one's going to be positive. On anybody. There's, anybody walking down the street. If you get five, there's tests, there's companies that do 500 allergens, you know, panels. Everybody is positive. And that doesn't mean you have an allergic disease. If, you know, there's, the testing is imperfect. There's overlap between disease and health. There's, um, people have all kinds of interfering substances in their body. There are lab errors. So everybody's going to be positive if the panel... An Olympian is, yeah, is big enough. And the truth is for most, um, whether it's inhalational allergy or food, which is the one people seem to be most interested in now, you know, usually just 10 allergens covers 95% of it. And it's important to diagnose it in those kids. Mm-hmm. There's, a, for, of course. there's a small group that's life-threatening. So I don't want to make light of it. If you, and it illustrates with the per- principles perfectly. If you're sick, testing is very valuable and less is more. A s- nicely Strategic. selected group that covers the majority of it, either percutaneous testing or, or the so um, blood tests, testing. Yeah. Or blood tests. They're fine. The blood tests have you know, definitely gotten better over the years. That's less is more. Be sick. You know, you should be sick when you have the testing. But, you know, if you go- – then Google is driving allergy. You know, people say, you know, allergy – the big thing is now is a spread. Like that allergies actually can be – because your bad mood because it could be because of allergy or everything about your bowel. You know, you're a little bit gaseous or, you know. And, um, so the, everybody thinks it's allergy. And so they have these big panels. And the United States, this has been very – the overtesting in allergy has been studied a lot. There's two big areas of overtesting. One is IgG allergy testing, which is quackery. It's not a test often run by alternative providers. They're adamant it's a test. Every major allergy group has come out against it as a test. It should never be run. And then... Um, because just to explain that, so IgG are circulating immunoglobulins, yeah. just antibodies that you've got in your body. And so you mean a, a non-traditional 
sorry, I can't think. Yeah, clinician would run this test and it would just come back positive of IgG to all sorts of little things. Yeah, like you could have reaction. an IgG, like, yeah, to food or whatever, where the test for allergy that's a blood test is an allergen-specific IgE. That's, and the, and so it's a you different have kind a, of antibody. You can have, yeah, IgE is the mm-hmm. one related to allergic disease, and you can measure it very nicely and very inexpensively. It's a nice test for sick people. Uh-huh. Um, and then you can treat it, you know, through the variety from anything from, um, you know, not exposing yourself to through shots, uh, you know, depending on what you need. And um, so it's, you know, it's a great test. But IgG is, a, you know, about... Five percent of the market in the U.S. for testing for allergies, IgG, so that all should go away. And then the average size of the workup, more than half of workups for allergy in the United States are 20 allergens or more. And, you know, 95 percent of workups need to be, you know, 14 allergens and less. Uh-huh. So and even maybe just eight to 10. So it's just too much testing. And so people are sick who aren't sick and they mm-hmm. either avoid these things or they get change their lifestyles when they don't have to when they don't have to uh-huh. and that's so, so a tip for a family would be um see an allergist after your child's had any kind of reaction that makes you concerned and be very strategic about limited testing is that right yeah I mean, that's basically it and that's a with good an rule allergist. for all the medicine but la- for yeah, laboratory yeah. testing you the sicker you are the more concerned you should be and the more likely laboratory testing is going to help you a lot yeah. And then the more well you are or the more you have the symptoms of daily le- living, you know, you have a little pain here and there. It comes and goes. You have a tick of some sort. You know, if you're an adult, you're losing your hair. It's hard to bend over. A little ringing in the ears. You got a headache. Don't test. Don't test. Don't Google. Throw the computer in the garbage. Go out. Well, we disagree Swim. there. I, I like Google in ways because well, you get information. You're but a when it comes to person. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, kind of. And I like to touch. I, I talk and touch people. Like I went into a different kind of medicine than you. Yeah. But I. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm afraid. I want to get back to, to close out this podcast. I want to get back to something you said very early, which was when we were going down the, the down the rabbit hole of over-testing, yeah. less is more, that ultimately Kids get tested because of kind of who their parents are. Yeah. Well, kids get labs because of who their parents are. Yeah. Will you finish that thought or like summarize that at the end here of what what ha- what's happening that they're – because I think more and more parents will have the opportunity to drive their own testing. Yeah. And what do we do as parents to kind of like have an alarm go off that something we're doing is not in the best interest of our kids because of who we are? Yeah. Well, in general, that kids just don't need testing unless they're very sick. So, I mean, I would not, you know, I would not go down any rabbit hole. Look, your body is made so that certain things can happen with you out you having to freak out. Like the painter can come over and paint. That you know that you can cut the lawn. There's a lot of things that be. Oh, it's a toxin. There's, you know, there's things in my lawn. There's the fertilizers. But your body's exquisite, and it can deal with small qualities, you know, quantities, everything. I'm, I'm not saying you can eat like a bag of fertilizer or you know <laughs> s- spray Raid in your mouth or something like that. I mean, you can't. That's you'll poison yourself. But in general, like. If the bug guy comes, you're going to survive. If you get the house painted, you're going to be okay. God forbid you eat a little something. We can leave our shoes at the front door. We can heat stuff in glass, yeah, not plastic. Like we can be smart about toxins. You're exquisite, but, and you don't need yeah. any lab Because we clear things. Yeah, we have an exquisite system. Mm-hmm. 
if you get really, really sick, especially if you get something in your lungs and you're coughing up green stuff and you have a high fever and we come to urgent care and then we're going to grow that thing that you huff out and then we're going to tell you what antibiotic to use. That's the glory of laboratory testing. That's the beauty of it. We didn't talk about like strep testing. I was going to get into antibacterial, you know, and antibacterial stewardship, but but yeah. In general, it's for lab testing is for six people except for a few things you mentioned. And in adults, there's only a few things. We've never had more lab tests. We've never had so few recommendations for screening. Um, and I think the main thing is, you know, moderation, eat, drink, go out, have a nice time, you know, enjoy yourself, try to love and do exercise. But I do, I don't think lab testing is going to help you. If you're, if you're relative, if you're relatively healthy person with just the daily not feeling goods, it's better to just wait and not have lab testing. But when you're sick, it's the best. And that's, you know, what I focus on. I have nothing more to say. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Right, thank you. It's good to be here. The reality is parenting is a high stakes job, but the good news is you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from.